This week on Talking Back, say it with me. There is no void. There is only Bob. Talking Back. Hello, everybody. Talking Back crew here for another episode. You've got Tim and Dean back in studio. And we're ready to go. Dean, how's it going? It's going okay. Um, Just okay? Yeah, I'm feeling a little like high strung for this episode. I think it's because I was like a little late arriving to studio and I have like an hour and a half drive to get here. And I think the whole hour and a half I'm just was stressed out that I was late and the clock just keeps on ticking. So I'm just going to try to calm down here because now we're here. We're ready to record. doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, you sound really amped up right now. Yeah, well, I'm trying. I'm trying to get myself amped. Oh, okay, you're trying to get yeah. yourself up. Well, it sounds like you're doing a good job there. Yeah, actually, maybe I need to calm down. Maybe it's yeah, a, yeah, it's the opposite. I think you actually okay. need to pull it back a little bit now. Okay. You're, you're. Oh yeah, I can see my levels. They're think, they're, they're peaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think oh. you've achieved what you wanted to achieve, and now it's time to bring it back a little bit. Okay. Okay. Good. Uh, well, thank you for driving all this distance again. Yeah, always to make it to studio. Yeah. Something new about the studio this week that hasn't happened yet. It's a pleasant temperature in here. I'm not sweating yet. I think fall has started to establish itself. Yeah. And the studio is responding to that. I have pants on this time. I see you wear the shorts. I came prepared. Just prepared for the heat wave. T-shirt just in I've case. I've got the pants and it's nice. It's cool. We'll see. We'll see. I think oftentimes the heat produces great back and forth commentary from us. So we'll see if we can still provide that without for the, sure uh, heat hysteria we can heat up the room with our hot takes oh i didn't bring any hot takes this this week oh i got you have hot takes oh always okay always got hot takes okay good so this week we're talking about comic books an avengers title yeah great avengers a, a dark avengers oh no dum 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 oh no what's that mean what does it mean dark avengers what is that I'll tell you what it is. Okay, thanks. It's a comic book run from 2009 by Marvel Comics. That ran for 16 issues. But just to be clear, what we're going to be reviewing here is Dark Avengers Volume 1 and Volume 2. Which is, it's a bit weird how they they did this release. So, issues 1 to 6 encompass Dark Avengers Volume 1. And then 9 to 12 encompass volume 2, but it's 16 issues. So issues 7 and 8 are somewhere else. And then issues 13 to 16 are somewhere else. So this is one of those silly... I think they're silly. I think they're stupid, actually. I'll go so far as to say I think they're fucking stupid. <laughs> hey, okay? hey, hey now. All right? Yeah. Watch your language. Sorry, you're, some of your, you're, you're so amped up, it just rubbed off on me. <laughs> I'll calm down a bit, too. Yeah. Um these crossovers that they do where they they're telling a story and then they throw some issues into a completely different comic book series and you have to go find those. I don't like it. So this book written by Brian Michael Bendis, the great, yep. The great Brian Michael Bendis. Carry on. Tell us more. Uh, Oh, uh, Brian Michael Bendis is just a, uh, I mean, I guess you call a journeyman, like a guy who just puts in his time at, at, you know, writing or whatever. And and Brian Michael Bendis is more of like a star. He's like all over Marvel Comics. He's written a lot of 
sort of the great runs on Avengers on Spider-Man. He wrote uh, the Miles Morales Spider-Man. Um, he's just written like a lot of great things on Marvel in, in Marvel Comics and recently has kind of uh, switched over to DC. And that was big news. Brian Michael Bendis going to DC was huge news because he's one of Marvel's big guys. He's one of the big names. I did not know that. Yeah. What's and, he writing on DC? Uh, I don't know. I don't know what they put him on. The announcement was probably like a year ago now. And uh, the way this podcast goes is we kind of talk about old stuff because we don't keep up with the new stuff as yes. as much, right? This so, is talking back, not talking present. Exactly. So I actually don't know. Uh, I could probably pull it up on the uh, the good laptop here. but Well, you know what? Why don't you do that real quick for our fans? Just, just to let them know what he might be writing on DC. Uh, I agree with you. Uh, Brian Michael Bendis, is he's a great, great writer. Uh, it's one of these guys where whatever he's going to be working on, you know, if his name's on it, it's going to be quality. So his debut was on Action Comics 1000. Cool. Which is like the big, the big one, right? Action Comics is the first one where Superman was in. That first issue is worth millions of dollars if you have one. Actually, I have a couple. You have a couple of them. Yeah. Oh. Somewhere. <laughs> You're lucky. You're a lucky man. In the basement somewhere. I've seen one in yeah. person. I went to a comic shop in Vancouver and they had one on the back wall. Did you touch it? Oh, no way. They, I did not touch it. It was, it was interesting because they had it, as we're going to tangent a bit here, but they had it just on the back wall, not behind like the locked display case. They just kind of had it just sitting on the back wall. And I was wondering if that's because it's so valuable that they made it look like it's nothing, right? Oh. Like, so if someone came in to rob, they'd take what's behind the display case. Interesting. It was behind the desk, behind the display case, and just on the wall. Cool. Yeah, and I, I, I actually forgot. I was really uh, caught up in uh, every other comic that was there because I wanted to buy some some old comics, and I forgot to ask him how much the action number one was. Neat. Um, but anyways, yeah, uh, he Bendis is doing some Superman stuff. Cool. At DC. Yeah. Okay. Which is, like, Superman's the big character. He's so. the big one, yeah. yeah. So clearly... DC liked them. Great writer. Poached them from Marvel. Yeah. Put them on Superman. Yeah. And he's exclusively DC now. Awesome. I might check some of those out. Yeah. Uh, we get art by Mike Diodato. I, I know a little bit. Uh, I don't know much. I've seen his name I don't, out there. I'm going to I'm gonna say this right off the, the, the start of the podcast here. I don't love Diodato. I don't love his art. Um, he... It's, it's one of those superhero house styles where yeah. everybody's body is... I, I'm seeing too much of everyone's body in my... Yeah. opinion mm -hmm. um i just like leave a bit like for me everyone's wearing like super tight spandex and everything and i don't love that style i actually don't think it's very interesting so there's i would say he gets better as this goes on and when we hit sort of arc two i'm kind of liking some of the action panels and action scenes um but uh not loving it off the bat we're gonna differ there okay i love it yeah i'm opposite opinion i love it okay i i see what you're saying with the volume two I think he dialed it back a bit. I think maybe... Maybe that's why maybe I there love was it. A, well, Yeah, I think that's why you think it's better. I think maybe there was a comment to him, like, let's pull, pull it back a little bit here. But I, I love this style. I really love it. It's it's uh, super, super, like, superhero-y. Yeah, and there's, there's a reason why it's, like, the house style of yeah. Marvel. Like, because that's superheroes in your mind, right? Like, that's what they look like. Yeah. It's very superhero-y. Um, yeah, for me, it's just not quite interesting enough. Their their bodies are definitely superhero style. Gigantic muscles, gigantic characters. But that's not all that I like it for. 
it's very, very realistic and very detailed. So you get those, like the background work that's super, super detail where somebody goes in and spends a day drawing a cityscape and you can see every little window in the building and you just, I always look at it and I think how long it would take me to do that. And I just think, oh my goodness, I wouldn't even want to, wouldn't even want to do that one page, let alone a whole comic like this. So I really respect it and I like it. And you know what else I think is it's not, it's not a style of art that I can really do that well. So I always like seeing art that is a little bit out of my ability and I appreciate it for how, how good it is. So I, I do like it. Uh, yeah, that I get that for sure. Um, what do you say about the backgrounds? That's really where I like his work here. And I think I get a little distracted in the first arc about all those all the body shapes and, and everything that's going on there, like with the character specifically, I get a little distracted. So I think I miss that stuff. And I think you're right. He tones it down a bit in the second one, because in the second one, I'm noticing all that stuff, like all those settings and atmospheres we're in. Um, that's what I really like. All right. I want to give a quick background to build to the Dark Avenger storyline. So there was a storyline that happened just before this that kind of carried into the Dark Avenger arc. And that was a story called Secret Invasion. Now, in this story arc, the Skrulls have invaded Earth, and they're using their shape-shifting abilities to plant mistrust amongst the Avengers. In this story, it looks like the Skrulls are just about to win. They're just about to take over Earth and win because of their plan. But at the last minute, Thor, he somehow summons all of the Skrulls to Central Park, and also superheroes but supervillains as well. And what you get is you get superheroes and villains working together against the Skrulls. So one of those supervillains fighting is Norman Osborn, the Green Goblin. And the turning point in this battle is when Norman kills the Skrull Queen. The aftermath is that Tony Stark is actually blamed for the invasion and he's stripped as leader of the Avengers. And, so, and these scrolls infiltrated S.H.I.E.L.D. as well, right? So Nick Fury is also ousted. Ousted. Yeah. Yes. And the Avengers are disbanded. Yeah. Altogether. Yeah. Norman Osborn is appointed as Tony Stark's replacement. Now, at this point, it looks like Norman is no longer a villain. He looks like he's converted. He's calling himself the Iron Patriot. But he's actually still meeting with some of the most malevolent villains out there. His buddies. His buddies, yeah. yes. He was... Still looks out for his buddies. He was leader of a supervillain team named the Thunderbolts, and he's he's still looking out for them. So, that's the backstory. That gets us to Dark Avengers. Right, the Thunderbolts are kind of like Suicide Squad, right? They're, I, I think they're a team of villains that have been captured and just do sort of the Black Ops missions, do the dark stuff. Okay, I'll take your word for that. Do you know I know nothing about the Suicide Squad? Nothing. Well, I know like who some of the members are. Okay. Haven't read any comics, didn't see the movie. I saw an animated movie with them, which was actually pretty good. But other than that, I don't know a lot. There's some so. good Suicide Squad comics. The movie is awful. I heard that. Yes. To get into a film club that we have talked about, I had to answer a couple questions to be allowed in. And one of the questions was, what's your least favorite movie? And what's the best part of it? Suicide Squad was my least favorite movie. That's what I had to answer. What was the best part when it, ended, when it ended? No. 
That would have been a good answer. <laughs> Will Smith. He's always great. He's so, good. That was the best part of Suicide Squad. Okay. Dark Avengers. Let's get into it. How do you want to do it? Um, I think there's a few ways. I, if you have an idea about what you want to do. You've talked about the secret invasion. So I just want to, to kick it off. I'd like to say what I find very interesting um, in a lot of comic books when there's a war between species and they don't really clearly cut sides of like good versus evil. They didn't really like, that's not really something they did in secret invasion. They what do you cut, mean by like, that? So we live on a planet where we've had two world wars. We live on earth. We live on earth. earth. The planet earth. We've had we two live world on wars. the same planet. The Avengers live on. We, Isn't that great? That's that is great. Have you ever thought about that? No, I haven't. No. I haven't thought we live on the same planet. So the world wars happened in their universe as well. What? So the world wars happen in their universe as well. Well, you mean that in yeah. their world they have world wars? Like they had our two world wars because we live on the same planet. Or are we in different universes? Do we live on 616? Do we live on Earth 616 like they do? What, what is Earth 616? <laughs> That's where the, the Marvel comics take place. In, on Earth in 616? That di- in that dimension, yeah. Dimension 616. Yeah. This is the first I'm hearing of Dimension <laughs> okay, 616. Okay. He, uh, oh, have you seen the new Spider-Man so, movie? So what you're saying is that in the world of the Avengers... Yeah. The Earth that they live on yeah. has had the same world wars that we've had. I'm asking you. Oh, yeah. have they? Yeah. Well, I th- I think so. I think so. Yeah. Okay. I think so. so I, I, they just happen to have Red Skull running right. their world <laughs> right, war. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hitler. Yeah. True. True. Okay. So we, we live on a planet where we've had world wars. We've as as human beings, we've countries have sent thousands of people to war to fight other thousands of people and kill thousands of people. Agreed. That doesn't mean that every single human being is uh, a killer, right? It doesn't mean that every single human being would be able to go to war and shoot somebody. Of course not. So what they don't do in comics a lot is when you have these wars against other planets, the Skrulls coming in to Earth and attacking, there's other Skrulls that aren't part of the military, right? That are okay people. It's just their military that's attacking. Right. Yes. Okay. So, yes. so I like in comics when we have these big wars between species, because I like to think about, oh, well, it's not just like us versus them. Good. Ver- it's not just humans versus scrolls because there's probably scrolls on a planet somewhere who are fine, right. who aren't attacking. It's the military that's attacking. So yes, we have to take out the military because they're uh, endangering earth. But it doesn't mean that we have to wipe out scrolls. Right. So it's usually a military or like an evil dictator or something like that who's in a sect who is doing doing most of this exactly so dark avengers picks up and the reason norman osborne is put in charge is because he hates scrolls he wants to wipe out all scrolls and this is not a great outlook to have but he's been put in charge because we've just been attacked and so yeah let's wipe out all scrolls this is something that us on this earth have dealt with being attacked and put someone, you know, our leader in charge has just said, yeah, let's kill all of them. Let's just go kill all of them because they attacked us. So we kill everybody. And that's not like a great outlook to have. So I like that Norman Osborn as a villain has been put in charge of the Avengers. And we get to see what happens when a man like this is put in charge of the Avengers. And it's it's not great. It's like a new government has come in. Yes. And he's going to clean house and put put together his own team for his own agenda. Yeah. Would you agree that everything that happens in this comic is sort of, he's kind of dragging the Avengers name through the mud? 
Do you think he makes good choices in this comic or bad choices? That's a great question. Yeah. He does both. That This sure. is something that's wonderful about his character in this. Right. Is that. Is he's, he is, he's making horrible choices, but he's doing them for the right reasons. But ultimately, is he dragging the Avengers name through the mud? Of course he is. Yes. Yeah, so sometimes I think he's doing the right reasons. And then sometimes we get a Trump vibe. Sometimes I think he's like, get out of my country. Don't get political. Yeah. Don't get political here. <laughs> but I'm just saying. Who's Trump? That's what's interesting about this book is that when you put a man like this in charge, sometimes it's going to be the right thing because that's just how it works out. But when you really get down to his motivations for doing things, sometimes it's going to be the wrong thing. Yes. Okay. I'm going to stop you there. Okay. Because I think we can get to some of... We can expand on that totally. in a little bit. That's just how I wanted gonna, to lead. I just wanted you. to lead off that it starts with putting a guy in charge who hates scrolls, And because this war just happened, that's who we put in charge. We put someone in charge who wants to wipe off all the scrolls. Well, they put him in charge because he was quote unquote the hero, right? He, yes. he, he, he in a way, single-handedly stopped this invasion, stopped this war. So he's the hero, right? They're looking for fingers to point. They pointed at Tony. They pointed at the Avengers you're out. Norman's in. Right. Norman, you have full control, not only of the Avengers, but who you want to pick as the Avenger team, but you're now in charge of Hammer. What yeah. is Hammer? What does it stand for? What, you know, what, <laughs> is, what, what is Hammer? Is Hammer Shield? Yeah. Why don't they call it Shield? I, this, this part I missed. Why is it called Hammer and not Shield? So, Shield was infiltrated by the Skrulls. So, they were posing as Shield agents. Okay. So... Shield has is not trustworthy anymore. It's not a name we can trust. It's not a name like the the public can okay, trust. So, they so just, it's disbanded. It's gone. Axed it. Yeah, and they're calling that new organization Hammer. Hammer. Yeah, and so, so Norman can grab whoever he wants, right, to be in Hammer, which is some Shield agents who also believe all scrolls should die. Like Norman is putting everyone on the team who is is down with just sort of eliminating anybody. Yeah, that is not human. Okay. Sorry to get political. No, no, Sorry. No. Oh, don't get, please don't get, this is not a political podcast. We are not, yeah, I apologize I Sorry. to all our listeners for Dean's behavior, his recent behavior, political in nature. I told you I was wound up because of the drive. Yes, yes, I understand, but we are not going to be talking politics. Yeah. This book is now, all about politics. Now, I got a question for you. Without giving away too many details, hopefully without giving away any details, okay. maybe give me a one sentence, two sentence, if you can. What is this book about? This book is about second chances. I'm hitting you. Yes, thank you. I would agree. That's good. I'm sorry to hit you with that real early without any, uh, you know. Warning? Warning. (laughs) That's how I like to roll here. But if I had to say one thing about the book, that's what it's about. That's good. That's a very good. there, There was... Probably a few really good answers, and that's definitely one of them. Yeah. Second chances. I love it. Okay. So, do you want to talk about the team and the characters, or do you want to talk about the story, and as we get to the team and the characters, just expand on them a little bit that way? I would actually like to talk about the characters who are part of the team first. That might get us to, like, 45 minutes, and then we got to just breeze through the story. But yeah, I think if we're if we're zoning in on the theme of second chances, then I think we got to get to the characters. This book is, in my opinion, it's equal parts 
story and character development. The main story takes you through the book, obviously, but this it's the side story of these characters engaging with each other and, and, and how the book develops their individual stories, which is as much of the story as just the main plot line is. So I think yeah. they're, 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 they weigh equally for me. And I would actually say the character, the characters in the story and their development is what's interesting. I wouldn't say necessarily that there's a few villains actually that are, that are interesting. There's a few plot points that are interesting, but there's some that I don't really care for. Yeah. You know, what's interesting to me. I, I agree with that. I, I like, I do find the story interesting. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit disjointed, but I think that has to do with the way they released it, like we mentioned before. But what I find interesting is Dark Avengers. What I what I should say is that this book got me back into comics. So when I was younger, I was heavily into comics. I have bins and bins of old comics downstairs, but I lost track of comics for a long time. And I got back into it kind of in the digital age. I had an iPad. I realized you could go to Comixology and anything you wanted was there at your fingertips digitally. So I download Comixology and this is the first book I actually purchase. And it sounded really neat. Dark Avengers. Very cool cover. Like I said, I like the artwork. We've done a comic on this podcast that I added to your cart one day. This is one that you added to my cart one day on my birthday. Oh, did I? Yeah. Okay. That's how I had this and I've read it. I had forgot. You put it on me in my cart. I had forgotten you read this yeah. for the podcast. I thought you were reading it for the first time, but you reminded me that you had read it before. I was kind of just really taken away by this, that that Marvel and comics in general were doing stories like this because this didn't really exist when I was reading comics in the past. You wouldn't get a story like this. And I thought, oh, wow, this is amazing. This is really, really interesting. And from there, I just kind of just got momentum from this. And, you know, haven't turned around for, you know, four or five years now. And just the amount, like sidebar, just the amount of amazing stories out there, not just for Marvel, not just for DC, but independent stories out there. It gets incredible. There's such a wealth of top notch writing, storytelling, art. It's an incredible medium medium that's out there right now that if you haven't really tapped into, uh, I'd recommend giving it a chance. And this is 2009 when this comes out. And that's right, I mean, in my opinion, that's right where things just really start to take off for a kind of independent comics like Image. Just has all these creators like developing all these amazing ideas. I think like around 2012, 2013, I would rather read an Image comic than watch a television show. Like there's more interesting things going on in comics than there are on TV. Um, It's a better medium for storytelling. Yes. In my opinion. Yes. And like you said, Dark Avengers gets you back into comics because this is actually a really interesting concept. And why, we, why we're going to talk about the characters is because these are people who haven't been heroes. There's people who have been villains and are now being placed in a hero role. And we have we just kind of see how they do it, see how they deal with being heroes, what they do on the battlefield, whether they feel like they need to um, do the right thing like in the public's eye it's really interesting to get into each individual character and what they're going to do it's kind of like how Watchmen gets people into comics because Watchmen is very similar it's like oh these people are heroes but 
they're not really doing heroic things behind closed doors, right? It's not always the hero action they're doing. And that's interesting. And so that's why I think this book is actually very interesting. So for our listeners, if you haven't gathered yet, what we've got is we've got a team of Avengers led by Norman Osborn, who is essentially a supervillain. And what he puts together is an Avenger team of supervillains. And we get to see this team trying to look good in the public's eye, but they're inherently evil and sinister. But they love the idea that they can be Avengers and want to be part of what that stands for. They've all done horrible things. And this is a second chance for them to be in the public's eye as a hero because their identities are actually going to be kept secret. So, I mean, like, we'll get into them, but, like, when Bullseye is out there fighting, he's in the Hawkeye uniform. And everybody thinks that this is just the next hero that's going to be Hawkeye. They don't know that it's Bullseye behind that mask. So he has a second chance to actually put on a mask and be a hero if he wants to be. And that's really interesting. It's extremely interesting. This is something that they play with in the book. It's an it's an ideology of almost what the Avengers stand for. So it doesn't matter who's behind the mask, right? It matters that there is a mask. It matters that that character is existing, not the person behind it. And Norman actually says it, says it at one point in the book. He says it's so important that the ideas those uniforms represent to the world stand up. So he's telling them, he's explaining yeah. to, the, to the bad guys, like, it's not you guys. Like, we know you've done things that are wrong. It's the costumes. It's who you're portraying that's important. So I love that theme about this. Yeah. Norman but, says so many things in this book that make me sit back and think, oh, yeah. Oh, Norman, Norman is great in he's this great book. He's great in this book. He goes on TV. Yeah. No, hold on. Stop. stop, stop. Okay. You're going too far. Going well, too far. I, just, I just wanted to say just part of our theme that we're talking about. Okay. And, and it's just that it's about second chances. Yeah. Right? He, like, goes on TV and says... And we'll get there. No, no, no. Okay. We'll get there. That's part of the story. You're kind of jumping right into the middle of the story there. I, I feel like it doesn't have anything to do with it, but that's okay. Well, it's part of the story. I got to rein this back in here. Okay. So let's talk about team members. Okay. Do you want to go? Do you want to start talking about some of them? Well, let, like... Let's just so run down the, the team. The, just who's on the team. So you've got Iron Patriot, Norman Osborn. Yeah. And like Leader. all these people have done horrible things. Yes. I'll put you on the spot. What's the number one worst thing Norman Osborn has done? Um, Norman Osborn, did he kill Gwen Stacy? He's killed Gwen Stacy. Okay. And they, at one point, retconned that he had impregnated Gwen Stacy and then killed her. Okay. I think they've taken that away now. Okay, that's, that's ridiculous. a little bit too controversial. Yeah, really, a little bit too far. Okay. But he killed Gwen Stacy. That is Norman Osborn's, in my opinion, number one uh, worst thing he's done. Well, let me tell you something. Okay. That is unacceptable. It is unacceptable. Right? I don't care who you are. That is unacceptable. He looks like Tommy Lee Jones in this book. Yes, he does. 100%. <laughs> just have the book open right now no. and he's looking at me. Did you notice that when you were reading it? Right away. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, first, like, I first think time they I saw him, him, like, he I looks like Tommy him. Lee Jones. Yeah, I think it helps. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on the order that he recruits them. Perfect, yeah. So we've got Iron Patriot. As the book starts, he's already recruited Ares. Yep. The God of War. Yep. Son of Zeus. Yep. That's a great fucking start. That's a great start. That could be the team. That could uh, could almost end there. Totally. You got You got Norman Osborn as in an Iron Man suit, by the way. That's why he's calling himself the Iron Patriot, because he's in an Iron Man suit. And you got the God of War. But and, and the God of War just loves battles. 
Do you think that's why he's called the God of War? Yeah. Yeah. He loves battles and he is at a point in his uh, life, I guess, in this book where it starts and he's like, I think it's like, I love battles. I love war. I think I could use it for good. I think there's a way where I can use loving war and loving to slash people with my axe for good. Yeah. I think that's really cool. Yeah. He's also recruited, not going to go out on much of a limb here, but say it's probably both of our favorite characters in this book. It's the Sentry. The Sentry. Do you know? Bob Reynolds. Do you know the background on the Sentry? I know nothing about the Sentry other than his powers. Because I could talk for an hour about the Sentry. Well, can I give you five minutes? You can give me five minutes. The Sentry is the most interesting character in the Marvel Universe. I found him the mo- easily the most interesting character in this book. Yes. He was my favorite character. I had never heard about him, but I love this character. And if he's in other stuff, I promise you I'm going to go read it. Here is what the century is to Marvel Comics. They have an idea before this book, in the 2000s though. Like he's a 2000 character. Like he's not earlier than that. They have an idea that there will be a middle-aged man who's an addict who will one day realize he'll figure out that he used to be a superhero. And he'll wonder, like, why have I forgotten this? It's because the Century has been a hero since the 30s. He's been a hero in Marvel Comics since 39 and 40s, all the way through. But he has this dark side about him, the Void, which we find out in this book. And in order to protect everyone from the Void, he wiped everyone's mind of him existing. So he existed back in the 30s and 40s and 50s when all those comics were coming out, but he wiped everyone's mind to protect them from the void. They go so far, Marvel Comics goes so far, as to say that he also wiped the mind of us readers. Mm. That he actually did exist in those comics in 1939, in 1940. They do this in what, in comics? In comics, they show him wiping the reader's mind. Wow. And they also show him planting it back into a writer's mind so that he can be written into this story. That sounds like a Grant Morrison story. It does. It does. He goes, this is like Marvel's biggest, like, home run swing that we're going to invent Superman, almost maybe more powerful than Superman. We're going to invent a Superman of Marvel Comics that has existed for all time and somehow work that into why no one's talked about him since now. Amazing. So they make him in 2000 and he has existed not only in the Marvel universe, universe, but also in our world <laughs> readers. That's it's, amazing. It's amazing. It's an amazing idea. It blows my mind that they home run swing with this. They kind of like, I mean, I kind of want you to go for an hour now on it. I know it piddles out a bit because like, we don't really know. We don't see much of Sentry anymore. Sentry isn't around in the comics anymore. Um, like a lot because I, I think they've made them too powerful and like this thing yeah. they went for was a bit too big and now they're in different directions. Mm. But that, that moment when they came up with that, I, it, that's creativity to me. That's on like sort of a next level where it's like, let's just change everything. Let's go back to like the Holy grail of comics back in the forties that we can't touch and let's change it. Yeah. That's very neat. I think it's cool. I'm going to read you the list of the century's powers, sir. Maybe he's more powerful than Superman. Guess what? He is. He fucking for sure is more powerful than Superman. Yeah. Listen to this. His powers include superhuman strength, speed, and stamina, regenerative healing factor, light manipulation, complete invulnerability, psionic powers, flight, enhanced sensors, molecular manipulation, matter manipulation, energy absorption, energy projection, gravity manipulation, 
immortality, teleportation, telepathy, astral projection, weather manipulation, invisibility, mind projection, thought projection, time bending, shape shifting, super durability, mind control resistance. Should I go on? That's a lot. That's, that's all I have. That's I a lot of good go things. On. But what is that? Like this guy's, you can't stop that guy. You can't. Okay. And the best part is he doesn't even know his limits. He's finding out about himself because of this mind wipe that's happened. Right. He's actually finding out all these things as they happen. So did he wipe his own mind too? He wiped his own mind. That's why he wiped everybody's mind. Yeah. That's he's so a, cool. He's a middle-aged guy who's like actually an addict and he comes to a realization that he was this hero. Yeah. So he wiped his own mind to protect everyone from the void. Awesome. Okay. Next, Norman Osborn recruits Bullseye to be Hawkeye. That is a perfect match. It I is. Mean, Bullseye is obviously a villain of Hawkeye, but also Bullseye is... His sort of thing is that he is, like, basically extremely accurate, like, can't miss any shot with any projectile. Yeah, so he's like be, the, the counterpoint to Hawkeye. Yeah, it'll be easy for him to shoot an arrow because he could actually hit anything, any spot he wanted with any object. He could throw a pen and hit exactly what he needs to. Yeah. So then Norman tries to recruit the real Miss Marvel from the Avengers. But she sees them for what they are, like criminals and villains. So she um, resigns from the Avengers, takes off. So instead of the real Miss Marvel... He recruits someone from his old team, the Thunderbolts, named Moonstone, and puts her in the costume of Miss Marvel. The point where Miss Marvel, come, like the real Miss Marvel comes to them, um, like that was not Kamala Khan, who is Miss Marvel now. Um, I actually don't think that she had been in existence before this comic. No, um, she wasn't in existence. Okay, yet. okay. This so this was actually... Previous one. This is like Captain Marvel? That we know of well, now, Carol Danvers. I'm not sure. No, no. There's there's, there's so many okay. there's so many Miss Marvels. Yeah. And Captain Marvels. It's like this thing where it's like it's a costume that they keep giving to new right, people. Right, right. So this is not Carol Dan Danvers. It's not Kamala Khan. It's not Kamala yeah. Khan. It's it's another one in between there. Okay. That that is a is a character. Right. There's just all, yeah. There's always there's all a these. Lot, there's a lot of them. Yeah. So I was a little confused at this point, um, but I think yeah, you're you're right. It's it's just another one. Um. So so. It's Moonstone, who's now going to be Miss Marvel. Do you know about her? No, I don't know anything about her. Okay, she's a... Uh, Other than her body is ridiculous in this book. <laughs> like, that is true. <laughs> that is true. Um, Almost like you said before, it's too, it's a little, too, too ridiculous. It's, it's one like of the a little distracting. Like. It's one of the things I didn't like. Um, you know what the most distracting thing in this book is? Yeah. Is how big the sentry's thighs are. Oh, man. When the whole team is standing in a in a line and it's like on the news and they're they're showing the avenger the new avengers team for the first time i know exactly what you're talking about his legs they're ridiculous they're gigantic yeah i can't even like it's bigger than the person beside him oh yeah <laughs> like just his he's like, like the thigh. same height as them yeah. but his thigh is like wider than their whole chest anyways Tangent. so moonstone moons she's a uh, uh psychiatrist um but she doesn't like she has this thing where she doesn't like relying on other people for her to make her way in life. She wants to be, it's just all about her. She's like, independent. She's independent. So being a psychiatrist relies on other people to come see you. You have to have appointments. So she doesn't like that. She doesn't like being a psychiatrist. So she actually gets this client who is Moonstone. And she 
convinces him to give her the stone. Oh, and cool. she becomes Moonstone. She tricks cool. him into, yeah, into giving it to her so now she can have superpowers and do anything she wants for herself. And so she's got these powers of the Moonstone, which is actually a, a Kree thing. Um, okay. and, and the Krees are enemies of the Skrulls. Yes. Um, she's cool. Cool. That's, that's a good bit of info. Yeah. I like that. I didn't know that. Next, Norman recruits Venom. Now, this one's interesting because it is. it's Venom, but it's Matt Gargan, yeah. who was originally the Scorpion, yeah. but has now been overtaken by the Venom symbiote. He's the third host. But in this book, he's disguised as Spider-Man. It's amazing. I love it. It's so good. It's amazing. It's so good. And he's disguised as Spider-Man. He looks, he looks exactly like Spider-Man did when Spider-Man just first got the black costume, first got the symbiote. And he actually is in the pose that like the, that yeah. Spider-Man is in when he first is in that costume. It's cool. But the Venom character in this book is the largest version of Venom I've ever seen. He's a giant. Like, if it's, if the Venom symbiote was able just to run wild and do whatever he wanted with the human partner, yeah. and he doesn't stick with human form, he goes to, like, a pure symbiote Venom form. He's, like, as tall as a room. He's as wide as a room. That's exactly, that's exactly it. When he gets to pure symbiote form, if you can just like imagine that, it's, you get so wide and so big. So muscular, so wide. That's what he looks like. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so Norman gives him a pill to take to actually reduce his size into the size of a Spider-Man. So that was kind of neat. And then Norman recruits. Now, this is the point in our show where I mispronounce a name, most likely. So is it? Dakin or Dakin? I say Dakin. Dakin. That's what I was saying, but I don't know. So, anyways, I also don't know. We like it's either when Dakin we just read, or I just say Dakin. whatever. Yeah, I, I say Dakin. Someone up there, if you know, please hit us up on social media. Let us know if the son of Wolverine is named Dakin or Dakin. Uh, that's who he gets next. Is Wolverine's son, who really hates Wolverine. Yeah, There's he's a very fresh character at this issues. point in the Marvel universe. Very fresh, like at the point when this comic comes out, um, big time daddy issues. I mean, like Wolverine wasn't there his entire life. Yeah. So he hates him. But he's got a, he's got a similar vibe as Wolverine. He's got like that kind of leather jacket, the, the hat, the, uh, like cowboy hat, kind of downtrodden traveler look. I love Dakin. It's cool. And then finally, last member of our team is Novar and he's a Kree warrior who came down in the secret invasion. He came down to help fight the Skrulls, but was imprisoned for reasons that I don't know because I didn't read the book. But this this book starts off and he's in prison. And Norman agrees to release him if he'll come and fight for the Avengers. So he agrees. I think his uh, Novar's sort of hero on the Kree side is actually a Skrull. Because Skrulls can shapeshift. So... His idol, who is a Kree, is actually a Skrull. Um, so he was very torn in that fight of who he should be, who his, where his loyalties lie. Okay. Because he's a Kree who hates Skrulls, but mm. his idol is a Skrull. Interesting. So that's where I think, uh, yeah, that's where I think the divide came. And maybe he was imprisoned because of something he did in the war um, that had to do with that. But Novar is a character where... Like, that's where I think the interesting point of the war is because he doesn't know what side he should be on because he knows a Skrull that was his hero. Hmm. So can he just 
annihilate all the scrolls. Yeah, I, that, I think he's very interesting. That, that's good. That kind of adds to the level of manipulation the scrolls have, right? It shows you what they can do and how they could manip- manipulate Earth and the team of Avengers. So that's that's it for characters. So I think this is probably a good time to take a quick break, and then we'll come back after this and talk more about the story. Time for break. So let's get into the story a little bit. So it's broken down into two volumes, and each volume actually has a different supervillain that they're going after. Book one, we start at 690 AD with a character, Morgana Le Fay. Now, she's looking in her magic cauldron for Dr. Doom. She's searching for him through time. And that's kind of page one. After that, we skip to the present day, and the new Avenger team is being revealed to the world on the news. So this is that great scene with the sentry's thighs that I mentioned before. Right. Where they're all just kind of standing there and they're like, here's your new Avengers team, everybody. Uh, what's going on, though, is Morgana is attacking Doctor Doom on his home planet of Latveria. So the Avengers' first mission, so funny, is to go free or to save Doctor Doom. <laughs> It's a great idea because Dr. Doom is like Norman's friend. So that's why they have to go do that. But also when they're doing it, Norman's like, we can't tell anyone about this. It's in secret. We can't let people know that the first Avengers mission is to help supervillain Dr. Doom. Of course. So Doom and Morgana have, have a past. And I guess what happened was he wanted, she's a dark sorcerer, time traveling dark sorcerer. Doom, as a, as a younger boy, wanted to learn the secrets and, I guess, offered himself in return for those dark secrets, then betrayed her trust. Mistake. Yeah. Mistake. For Mistake. sure. Do not betray the trust of a time-traveling dark sorceress. Definitely not. As Morgana, we learn in this volume. Morgana is a badass. She's badass. I love her in this volume. And Dr. Doom is also awesome. So their yeah. kind of rivalry it's is... Cool. It's cool watching it's very cool. supervillains fight. It's very cool, yeah. So the Avengers head out to Latveria to help Doom. And we get to see the Sentry in action. So he heads over to Morgana. And in the wor- famous words of the great Michael Scott, wham, her kappa is detated from her head. <laughs> the Sentry... Goes right over Morgana and rips her head off. Straight up. This is the first act that the new Dark Avengers have done. Is rip the head off of somebody. That's that's the first thing they do. That's all they need is the our hero of the story. The team member, Sentry. Sentry's the best. Just does it. Right? Just goes in, rips her head off. Done. Yeah. But I love, because he's like, he's confused. After he does it, he says, "Is, is what I just did, was that good or bad? To the team, and the team's like, yeah, yeah, good job, like, yeah. good job. He's like, well, was that good, or I don't yeah. know. He's confused, right? It's great, right, at the beginning. You can see he's con- conflict, a conflicted yeah. character. We had a scene before that where he was talking with Norman about mental illness, so we knew he was already, like, a character who struggles with that, but I like seeing him in the battlefield doing something and then immediately it's asking, like, sure. yeah, was that good or bad? Right after he rips the head off and he's asking about this, guess what? 
we have a time-traveling dark sorceress. So, she comes right back. She just immediately appears back on the battlefield and kills the sentry. That's how that's how she can do it. Yeah, because like the if you try to wrap your head around the time travel too much, um, they basically tell you in the book you're too stupid to understand it. Right? Well, I think what they're, what they're getting at is that she exists in her time and is able to travel to other times, but if she gets killed there, she just goes back to her time and then can decide to jump in at whatever other point in the time stream right and she has a combination of powers that makes that understandable because she has has like um she can project herself anywhere as well and she can also you know she does the time travel she's the sorceress like there's all these things combined where it's like yeah she's there and you ripped her head off but that doesn't mean she can't come back doesn't mean anything yeah so that's where we flash back actually to norman talking with the sentry this is such a good part of the book for a couple reasons that we've explained already. Norman in this book is such a good character. He's so well-spoken, so well-written in this book. And then the Sentry is this conflicted character. But Norman is also a conflicted character, right? He's suppressing the Green Goblin always. The Green Goblin is his, um, like his, his counter-personality who tries to come out, right? And what we learn is that Bob has the same thing going on with this character, The Void who is like, it's his balance. So uh, he says, anytime Bob says, anytime I do something good, the void counters it with doing something bad. This is not a very long story. Like we, this is a nine issue story that we read, right? Yeah. This conversation between the two of them is nine pages of just the two of them talking and Norman trying to explain to Bob that the void doesn't exist. That his other personality is not real. All there is is Bob. There is no void. It's only Bob. And he just continues to explain and explain and explain. Doesn't rush anything. And gets to the point where the sentry believes it. He believes there is no void. There's only the sentry. Such a great part of the book. Norman is great for this role he's taking where he is trying to give every one of these heroes a second chance. Because he wants a second chance. And he's specifically good, like you said, with Sentry. Because Sentry deals with a mental illness with another personality that is in his head trying to take over. Exactly what Norman's gone through. And just everything he says in these nine pages. He comes up with the idea. This is this hasn't been talked about before. This comic in these pages. That it's called The Void. Because you're putting everything human sort of a side of yourself you're not eating you're not sleeping these are things humans do but you don't need to do them you realize you don't need to do them so you're stopping you've stopped doing that and that's when the mental illness is taking over the void the void in your life is being human it's interesting because if you're dealing with things like you know depression maybe you you don't sleep as much maybe you don't eat as much and it's these things that you're separating yourself with that Everybody else does. And it's like, if you can just get back into the routine of being a human, you know, go wake up, like have your, have yourself a time to sleep, wake up, eat breakfast, go to work. If you can get into these routines, maybe you can actually help yourself get out of it. I think it's really cool. These nine pages. Yeah. Very good. We go back to, back to the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Um, the sentry's dead. Morgana takes out Ares, but then she's taken out by bullseye. So bullseye hits her with five arrows she dies. But guess what? 
She doesn't die. Well, she's right. She comes right back. <laughs> you can't kill her. So she comes right back. So Norman kind of sees what's going on, that this is an unwinnable battle. He convinces Dr. Doom to work with them uh, to defeat Morgana. So Doom kind of reluctantly agrees, but ultimately what he does is he, he ends up pulling out some sort of time travel cube yeah. that they that him and Norman just disappear into. And then the next thing we see is a, a kind of a, a copy of that page one where Morgana's looking in the cauldron asking where can I find Dr. Doom in the timeline and in the cauldron in the water you can see her reflection but then you see Doom and Osborne standing behind her because Doom has traveled to her time and found her that was neat it's it's like it's kind of legit genius in that moment like that's that's kind of one of those, I mean, you can do this on a movie as well or TV as well, but this is kind of one of the things that you can make really clear in a comic is you've already seen her look into a cauldron and ask where Doom is and see sort of the timeline he's in and then go to it. And this time when we go to it, they're just standing behind because the reflection of them is in the water. It's It was so good. It's very good. So Doom actually can't kill her. Because she's integrated herself into too many timelines that affect his own life. So if he killed her... He'd be super messed up. His whole timeline would be effed. Yeah. So he sends her a million years in the past. Right, yeah. He sends her to to 1 million BC in England. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a a real... Where she lands, there's just a real cool picture of this T-Rex eating some caveman character that page is like legit awesome that page looks awesome it does the t-rex artwork on that is it's real badass the dinosaurs in this book look great and there's a lot there's a lot of dinosaurs in this book for some reason i think the artists really like dinosaurs and can i just say that like any book with doom in it is incredible i love doom He's a cool like, character. If all you've seen Doom in is Fantastic Four movies, like you can fucking throw that out the window because that's not Doom. You know what? You know what else you can do? Is yeah. just throw the Fantastic Four out the window. Well, yeah. Of those movies, yes. I'm just going to go ahead and say they... Whoa, you're putting your hand up. I'm going to say it. I'm going... You, you go ahead. I'm gonna, I want to say it. <laughs> okay. I feel like I need to say it. Okay. I hate them. They suck. The movies. Them. No, come on, no. Remember Space Punisher when the Hulk killed them, ripped ripped off I things, arm, tied fa- Mr. Fantastic like a into hose. a garden hose knot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then was beating Human no. Torch with the arm. That's that's what I like about the Fantastic Four. Is those mo- those are the special moments for me. Tim, I'm not on board with you with the Fantastic Four getting out of here. Um, they're like the reason the Marvel universe exists, so I can't get on board with that. But I will say you can throw the movie version of them out. Well, <laughs> you could throw that at obviously all, all I'm, I'm, movie I'm arguing for everything let's just throw it all no you, know you what? can't you can't do it here we go we need bob reynolds the century okay yeah I'm we need board. him to wipe the minds of everybody <laughs> the fantastic of the fantastic four. four ever existed what if I, 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 cue the music <laughs> cue the hey cue cue the what if music what if the Fantastic Four didn't exist? <laughs> oh, I mean, we, it would be easy one. We know the world would be a, a greater place. I don't like them. Do oh. you like Doctor Doom? I like Doctor Doom. Because yeah. Doctor Doom is a super, super genius. Like this guy made this time travel device. 
He makes robots that are super advanced. He's also a sorcerer and like one of the highest level. So he knows everything about science and he knows everything about magic. This is actually one of the most interesting characters in the entire Marvel universe. Every time he's in a story, I am so in. I agree. Now, sorry for the tangent. I'm still a little hung up on you hating it's Fantastic all good. Four. I don't know how we're going to get past you'll that. You'll get there. Don't worry. You'll get there. Okay. Uh, where, don't subscribe to this. Listeners. Where are we in this story? I feel like we... Oh, that's, uh, that Doom. wraps up that Doom. wraps up Morgana. Yeah, that, yeah, that's actually true. That That's it for Morgana. So we're back on the battlefield, actually. We're back on the battlefield of Latveria. Uh, Morgana's gone. And everything is destroyed. Everything's destroyed. Yeah. yeah. Doom's planet's basically destroyed. Doom revives Ares. So Morgana... It looked like she turned him to stone or something. But I all she so. did, she cast a spell on him. She didn't want to kill him because she feared the wrath of the gods, which I thought was kind of cool. This so part she just is put really him to in, stone. Yeah, this part's really interesting because Doom's like, oh, really? She did like that like lame spell on him? It's just a Weird. silly spell. Yeah. Yeah. So we go back to Avenger Tower and the team's kind of joking around in the aftermath. And the century, the century, not the century. I said that wrong. The century. Century. They wanted to call him Centurion. Oh, did they? With like with a C. They wanted to call him Centurion, but they went with Century. So well, I think I, I mean, was just channeling that. You're channeling that. You yeah. knew about You know what? Yeah. I wonder if my mind was wiped by this guy. Well, I'm telling you it was. It was, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah so it, it all was. Minds were... You read comics. So of something him in as my subconscious has just pulled that out. <laughs> he probably heard that. He's coming for me. <laughs> so the Sentry, he returns in a blinding explosion of light. So he's just back. So Morgana killed him, but he's back. And he's out of it. <laughs> He's clearly oh, yeah. out of it. Osborne has to talk him down again. He seems lost. He, he doesn't know what's going on or, or anything like that. So uh, moving from there, Hawkeye, the real Hawkeye, goes live on TV and is accusing Norman of being a murderer, villain, the Green Goblin, which I guess is information the, pe- the public didn't have. Yeah. So Norman... So he goes on TV as Clint Barton. Yeah, Clint So Barton. he, I actually think he's Ronan at this time. Not yeah. Hawkeye, but I don't actually know what the time period is. He's been Hawkeye, he's been Ronan, but um, yeah. He, he was dressed in Hawkeye apparel still. Was Other he? than his mask, yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. So I think he's probably fresh off of his... He's repping the Hawkeye. Run okay. Hawkeye. Okay. Still feeling a little bit soft about the whole thing. For sure, yeah. Thing. Not being chosen for the new team. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, he could have been. After his Ronan uh, run, he, he could have... This is, what I wanted, this is what I wanted to talk about 40 minutes ago, Tim. What? Ronan? The moment when when he goes... No, we, we, you're going to stop me still because Norman isn't on TV yet. So you're going to stop me. Well, this is it. This is the TV, the TV moment. So Norman goes on TV. They decide that the best thing for Norman to do is to counter this argument that Hawkeye has put up with his own counterpoint on live TV. So he goes, he sits down for an interview and... He just kills this interview. He kills the interview. He I mean, kills he's, it. he set up the interviewer with the questions, but he kills it. It was great. So they say, what about the accusations from the real Hawkeye that you're a sociopath, that the new Avengers are criminals and murderers, and and that you were the Green Goblin? And he starts to talk about how he was the Green Goblin. He says he was. And it's about second chances. We get to this interview and he says, hey... All these people were criminals and now, like, they're heroes. They got a second chance. Why not me? Yeah. And I sit back 
And I go, oh, shit, Norman, you're right. Like, I'm a person who definitely believes in second chances. Norman, you sold me. This comic book character made me sit back, put down the book, and think about what I just read. That moment in the book is actually great. Like, if you you are reading this book and you're like, ah, enough of this, no... You got to get to this point because this is the point where the book makes you put it down and sit and think about what you've just read. He fits right now as the leader of the Avengers. He fits. He's this stoic character. He's got everything together. Yeah, they're doing some weird shit, like saving the wrong people and the team's full of villains. But you know what? Like they're they're doing they're doing good. Like as a team and he is being an excellent leader and he actually believes in them. He does. This is the point where you're like, "Oh, he actually believes in these people having a second chance. He wants a second chance himself. He, I, I believe that he feels bad about the things he has done. I forget, Norman Osborn was a man just trying to get ahead in the scientific field. And he actually has a mental illness that he has yeah. to deal with. Mm-hmm. And that's why he's a villain. You forget that because of all the horrible things he's done. Right. And I actually, at this point, have to sit down and put down the book and think about it and say, you know what? I'm down with the team. I'm yeah. down with every giving everyone a second chance. Yeah, let's do it. If they want to try to be a hero, I'm okay with it. I was down with the team from the opening of the book. I just, just thought, this is super cool. I like this team. Let's roll with it. But this is where we start to see a decline in Norman. This is, this is his peak. He's had a couple of real great moments here, but now we start to see some cracks in his armor. Mm-hmm. Did you want to say something there? Is this still in the first volume? Yeah. Okay. We got a, we got a, a small sub story to go and then we're out of the first volume. Okay. Yeah. Do, do so, you want to save it for the second volume? Or, yeah. Yeah. Okay. What's happened is there's another event for the Avengers to counter to. The Atlanteans attack LA. Norman calls in for a meeting. Dr. Doom, and you may have to help me out here. Is it Loki? It's a yep. it's a female Loki. Yeah. Okay, so female Loki, White Queen. Yeah. So uh, Emma Frost. Uh, Namor, the Submariner. Yeah. And who's this cloaked guy? Cloak and Dagger. I, think. I thought but like I'm I thought Cloak sure. and Dagger, but that doesn't make sense. I think there's a character named the Shroud. Oh yes. I'm not sure. Does yes. that would that be him? Yes. So Cloak and Dagger, I know, is on his sort of dark X Men team. Yeah. So that's why I thought it was Cloak. That's what I thought too. But then really there's no sense. Dagger's not there, and yeah. it didn't quite look like him, but. Yeah, I think I the think shroud right. is someone. I think right? that was the one where I was yeah iffy about. I was iffy about was, that yeah. too. I'm still not sure. So, like I said, he he kind of cracks here a little bit. So he's what he's doing is basically demanding that Namor lead a counterattack against the Atlanteans, and Namor is an Atlantean. Yeah, and Namor is kind of like, well, screw you. Why would I do that? Yeah, and Norman yells at him. He counters. Norman's it's demands. Yeah. Half of the page is his enraged face. Like you get half of his face in this panel. Yeah. And I don't know what he says, but he basically says, the only reason I'm here is like out of pity almost for you. Like, it, it's like you, me allowing you to talk to me right now is a privilege. Right. I mean, Namor could wipe the floor with Norman too easily. So, so I really, I really like that. So Norman heads back to Avengers Tower. He's looking for his, his team. A couple of the team members are missing. But 
he's he asks for the sentry. Like, is the sentry here? Well, we haven't really seen the sentry for a while. He's not in the room with all the other characters, but the sentry just kind of shows up. He's like, yeah, I'm here. What Norman wants, what he asked uh, Namor for, was he wanted Namor to go to the Atlanteans, kill every single one except one, so that he could make an example of that, that one. So what he asks the sentry to do is the same thing. He says, go kill every single one except one. I don't want the sentry. I want the void. This is the, I get really into the comics that I'm reading. And this is the part where Norman has just won me over. Yes. And then Norman breaks my he heart. He immediately loses you. He immediately loses me because we had these great nine pages that he talked to the sentry and he told him, there is no void. That's just in your head. I will help you. But as soon as it comes down to something that he wants, something that Norman wants, he goes back to being a villain and he goes to the sentry and says, I need the void. The void, centuries, I thought the void wasn't real. I need the void. Be the void and kill everybody I want you to. Oh, it was, this is a rough part. Like you said, it becomes real. So yeah. as soon as he convinces the sentry that the void is real, he has to believe himself that the Green Goblin is real because they're in the same situation. He had already, by him deciding that the Green Goblin wasn't real, he was able to share with the sentry the void is not real. And here's why. But as soon as he retracts that and says the void is real, the Goblin is real. That is like, I, I didn't really think about that when I was reading it. And that is a great point. He was doing fine up until that point. So we end volume one with Norman starting to hear the goblin voice. So we get some um, speech bubbles. They're all colored in green. So that's our cue to the green goblin. Mm -hmm. And it's something about something about him saying, why can't I get rid of this face? It's like, why can't right. I take this face off? So it's the goblin talking about the Norman persona. He's like, why can't I get rid of this? Right. Yeah. Very cool. So then we get into book two. So you'd wanted to say something about book two. Did you want to get to a certain point? Do you even remember what that was? Don't remember at all. Let's keep going. Then. Something about Norman's probably over now. All right. Well, we, we might, we might <laughs> get to it anyways. So book two, we start to get a bit, uh, a bit of character development for Ares. So Ares has a son and what's going on is his son is actually secretly training with Nick Fury. So Nick Fury's got a little bit of an underground team of, you know, like superheroes that he's trying to train. Ares tracks them down, breaks into the hideout they're in. I love it because they see him coming on the camera and half of them are like, like, who is that? Yeah. Some of them are like, what? Is that an axe he's carrying? Because he got a gigantic axe. Yeah. And then Nick Fury's just like, oh, we're in deep shit. Yeah. So everyone's, you know, everyone's freaked I out. I love this opening and like a lot of the panels in this part look great as well yeah. because he's breaking things. So panels are like breaking as well. Um, and it's kind of a great moment for Ares who really is just sort of muscle at this point, right? He's just like the guy who's fighting on the battlefield. You get a moment with him where he's like, I'm a dad and I don't know how to do it. Yeah. We, they, we get him humanized here. Yeah. So, so you're exactly right. He's, he's struggling. We see him a little bit before this kind of struggling with his son um, he's living, he's not living at the Avenger Tower, Ares. He's living in an apartment with his son. And earlier in the book, he goes home. His son's supposed to be there. His son isn't there. So he gets mad. Then we see later on, he comes to wake his son up. He's kind of like a little bit of a harder dad. You could imagine. I mean, he's like the God of War. He's not, you know, all yeah. crimson and clover. He's, he's harsh. But then he follows his son to this, this hideout. And Nick Fury 
gives him a bit of a talking to and just says like i guess harry says what are you guys doing here and and you know nick says you know your your son he shows great potential he has some tremendous powers and Ares asks his son, you know, what do you, is this what you want to do? You want to be part of this? And Ares kind of concedes, like you said to Nick, he concedes that, look, I don't know how to be a father. All I know is what my father taught me. And I don't want that to be what my son knows. So I don't want to, I don't really know what to do, but I don't have the right skills to teach him. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm okay with this situation. And he just allows his son to stay there and to continue continue training with them. And when it's all done, Nick Fury's just like he's like says to the to the bunch there. He's like, "That could have gone way worse." There's <laughs> he's like, just so there's, thrilled. Like he gets, you can tell he's thrilled to be alive. Yeah. At the end of that engagement, there's a great part where someone someone part of that team I can't remember who attacked Ares, and Ares just like kind of grabbed oh, him, it was knocked like him a out, fireball or something, yeah, hellfire, hellfire, yeah. yeah, something like knocked that. him out. Yeah. And then he kind of comes to. That's right. And he's like, oh, what happened? And Nick Fury's like, you were, you were. You fought a god. You fought a god and you lived. Yeah. So it was a good day. Yeah, exactly. It was great. It was so great. It was great. Yeah. That was really great. We're kind of going to jump around a little bit here because the book does jump around. But we get back to Avenger Tower and we're um, with the Sentry and his wife. So Sentry's, he's got a wife. She's been in the book before. She's usually just lying in bed. She's, she's, you can tell she's afraid of him. Like she doesn't know what to make of him because he's this loose cannon. And she, she's kind of had enough. She feels trapped, doesn't know what to do and is trying to escape him. So she has Novar's gun and yeah. shoots Sentry in the face trying to kill him. And does a pretty good job. Like looks melts, like it kills him. Yeah. <laughs> melts half of his face off. Yeah. An interesting thing about his wife here and why she would do this is um, Sentry was put in jail earlier, like before this, because he was a, like he was accused of killing his wife, her. Um, but it happened to be just like another sort of mind messing with his mind thing where it was someone else who had been killed. And they made it seem like it was his wife and his wife was actually okay and fine. So she's living in a world where her husband's been accused of killing her. Okay. So she's going to be scared of him often. And he's got these, you know, two personalities she's trying to deal with. Anyways, and she shoots him yeah, in the face. He's super powerful. Yeah. yeah. So we move from there. We kind of get into the next villain here. This is the, the start of this next villain that we're going to get in volume two. We've got a couple of girls... In the middle of nowhere. Looks like the middle of the desert, but they tell us it's, you know, somewhere in Colorado. Some shit goes down there, and basically the girls get killed. I won't really get into details about what happens, but one of the girls is the daughter of the Secretary of State. So he pulls some strings, and he gets the Avengers sent in. They find out that there have been 44 similar reports in that area about people disappearing. So what do you do? Go for it. Or what do you do specifically? Uh, send the sentry. <laughs> send the sentry. Yeah, I, I was going to say you send in Bob. <laughs> you send in Bob. You send in Bob. Of course. So Bob goes to town. And it's like it's like an abandoned town, but it looks lived in. Yeah. And he sees a single man. Kind of cowboy hat on the street, dusty street. And then Bob builds up with energy and explodes. And he's like, he's dead. Yeah. Again, he's dead. <laughs> again we know he's again. coming back yeah you can't really dead. kill bob yeah. but if he's dead momentarily 
Uh, the rest of the Avengers assemble into the same area and they all disappear. Yeah. And then we get this weird frame of Norman in front of a bunch of characters. And it almost looks like it's in hell or something or some sort of weird yeah. area. And we see Mephisto is there. Yeah. The Red Skull is there. Enchantress is there. And there's another guy sitting kind of in the throne with those characters around him. And we learn a little bit later that this character is named the Molecule Man. He's our villain of number two. One character that we haven't gotten into here, and who does play a pretty important role, but we didn't need to talk about her before, is mm-hmm. Victoria Hand. Yeah. So she's she's a human character who worked for S.H.I.E.L.D., lost her job, and Norman picked her up when all this transition was happening and made her his right hand. So yeah, she, and- she's responsible for kind of the uh, operations and for keeping him in check. Yeah, and to be fair, she's like kind of a throwaway in the first arc. Like they, there's often moments where a character will be like, "Who are you again? What's your name again?" Like they're just kind of making. She fun has of... good interactions. Yeah. There's a lot of good character interactions in this book that we're not going to get into. There's a lot of funny stuff with this team sitting around Avengers Tower. It's not gonna. We're not going to do it much justice by getting into that. Yeah, she's definitely in the second arc, uh, more of a main character. Yeah. yeah. So what we learn is that. This Molecule Man character, he can control the molecules of the world around him. These other characters around him, like Mephisto, Enchantress, they're not they're not real. They're just constructs that he's made. Yeah. And they help him. It seems like they help him make decisions. Like they're like the, the angel and the devil talking in his ear. He can't really make decisions for himself. So he, he uses sure. them to help. So the Molecule Man, he starts fucking around with Norman here. And he starts showing Norman weird scenarios and he's in my mind, I feel like he's trying to crack Norman mentally here. But what happens is we get a shift in art style here, which is incredible. It reminded me of these Marvel masterpiece cards. Do you ever, do you remember these cards from back in the early nineties? I do. There was, I think they released Marvel trading cards volumes one two and three and then they did this this special marvel masterpiece set there's a hundred cards and the artwork was so good it was so pristine just like super realistic super yeah. realistic yeah i never now, thought i never remembered that this, but yeah yeah this whole molecule man stuff where he's messing with norman it's all in that art style it's so neat but he's just screwing with them so he starts showing norman things like um norman is dressed as spider-man in front of a pregnant Gwen Stacy. So this is probably around the time where it was in canon that he impregnated her. Yeah. Um, I think they've yeah got rid of that. But that's yeah, probably so that's best. what's haunting him, right? Impregnated her and then killed her. Right. And then uh, then Norman dressed as the Spider-Man falls off a bridge. He sinks into the water. And then all of a sudden he's in a room with Thor, Captain America, and Iron Man. Yeah. And then the next frame he's in a room with Iron Man, Spider-Man, and Ares, but they're all like ghostly, kind of creepy, nightmarish creatures. And yeah, he's just trying to he's trying to mess with him for whatever reason. Yeah. And then Molecule Man, he starts walking through town, killing the Avengers one by one. Yeah. Just he encounters them there. Right. I guess they disappeared in the world that they were in and that Victoria can see, but they're now they're in his world. And he's going one by one and he's he's killing them. So Victoria basically sees 
in the real world that the Sentry has gone in, been taken care of. The rest of the Avengers go in, they've been taken care of. So she, clearly there's nothing else for them to do. They, they, there's nothing they can really do. Yeah. So she comes down and basically she surrenders. She says, on the behalf of the United States of America, we surrender. Right. We've sent in our best agents. We've sent yeah. in the Avengers and yeah. they just disappeared. So obviously we can't do anything more. That's right. Yeah. And Molecule Mount, he's kind of taken aback. Um, but these the characters on his shoulder start talking to him and they're like, yeah, it sounds reasonable. She starts like, getting to him. Yeah. You, you beat their, their, their number one team. So Victoria convinces him to return the Avengers and the 44 missing people in exchange for the land that he's staying in, mm-hmm. which is all he really wanted. He, he grew up in this area and all he wants is to have this area alone. But people keep coming in, so he keeps killing them or, or getting rid of them or whatever he's doing. So he makes a deal. He promises, you know, to, he re- returns the people. Mm-hmm. He's going to return the team. But I guess once they're all returned, the Sentry has other ideas about what should probably happen here. So the sentry comes back, yeah. but Molecule Man blows him up again. They kind of have a fight where sentry is able to take control of Molecule Man. They do, but it's... I mean, sentry he, gets kind of... I know, sentry does, gets kind of... He blows up... I think he... I mean, he gets like annihilated in the same... He annihilates him? Yeah, like, I don't know what happens there. Well, I think he... Yeah. There's like one frame where he has total control, and then there's another like panel where he's getting... I think what blown ha- out. I think what happened was when Sentry goes in for the first time, yeah. he disappears. Yeah. Or like it looks like he explodes, but what I think is happening is he's being taken into the Molecule Man's like area yeah. or like his world. Yeah. And then in this world, I think he destroys the Sentry. Right, I'm remembering that. Yeah, yeah. And it's at this point I think Victoria's talking to Norman, tells Norman that the surrender was fake yeah. and that the nukes are coming. Right. So this is where the sentry returns, but he's the void now. Yeah. He yeah. returns as the void and he uses Molecule Man's powers against him. He realizes that he, he has the same power. So, And this is another point in the story where I'm like, I don't think they're doing the right thing. Like if this story is about second chances yeah, and this guy just wants to live here, that's all he wants. He wants this small community that's right. that has like a hundred people living in it and all he wants to do is live there. And they're like, yeah, cool. You can live here. I'm totally down with what's happening there. And then when Han- and Victoria Hand is like, oh, it was all just a setup and I was just stalling. I'm like, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's the right thing to do if we're talking about second chances. Yeah, and it seemed like this is a guy who should get a second chance, right? Because totally. he wasn't, he just wanted, Doesn't he want seemed to like a anyone. very okay character kind of pleasant he's got his issues he's got some you know voices talking to him but he's not outwardly violent towards people or overly aggressive he's just kind of like concerned and trying to um, maintain the world that he's living in which is just kind of a world of being alone in a place that he knows yeah he's extremely powerful but he is a person who doesn't want to actually do harm he just wants to live there so yeah you need to keep an eye on him you need to have like maybe you need to have the sentry watching him daily, but just let him live there. <laughs> like, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So we basically end this volume with Victoria demanding that Norman get expert medical examination. Yeah. Norman agrees. And Norman's on the ground here. And actually I got it wrong before. This is where Norman is saying 
why can't I get this face off? It wasn't at the end of oh, volume later. one. Okay. It's at the end of this yeah. one. That was yeah. my mistake. So he's saying, why can't I get this face off? And then Loki appears. Right. But the a male Loki. Yeah. Where earlier in this book, we saw a female, female Loki. Loki. This is a male. Yeah. So I'm a little bit confused here. And Me then too. this is where it ends. Yeah. So. I'm okay to just like rip up this last page. I don't need Loki to be there. No, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And like, I, I know Norman, it's, I know. Norman's struggling with his mental illness by himself is fine. Yeah. Because you said that moment where he tells Sentry that the void's real. That's all you need for Norman to think the Green Goblin's real. And then you have this page that it's like, oh, it's Loki pulling the strings the whole time. This is a classic thing that Marvel does where they just throw like a huge, like, oh, there's this villain and he was behind it all. And this is the last page. Now buy the next issue. They do this all the time. Yeah. And it used to get me a lot Yeah. Um, where I'd be like, oh, cool. But in, in this moment, I felt like, ah, I don't need this. Like rip up this last page. I don't need this Loki here. Like it was actually better when it wasn't Loki, when it was just. Yeah, I agree. When it was just his own mind letting, he was allowing Green Goblin to get in because of the choices he was making. Yeah. We don't know why Loki was there. I don't because I, don't, I, I didn't even, read on. Well, I did read on, but I don't even remember if they got into that. I just yeah. remember those extra issues kind of being useless. But that, yeah, that last issue is telling you Loki's pulling the strings, right? It's like Loki's get letting the goblin in somehow. Yeah. And I just, I don't need that. Yeah. In a story where, there, there, I did only read these two volumes, but in a story where Loki has been in like two panels, I don't need Loki to be the one pulling the strings. Yeah, right. I don't like it. No. So overall, it's a really good book. I like it. It makes me think. I like books that yeah. I sit down and I'm like thinking about it. I like that Norman interview where I actually have to stop and be like, you know what? I am on board with these characters getting a second chance. Let's see what they can do in this superhero outfits. Yeah. Um, it's a very cool idea. Yeah. it's It's got some issues. It's not as tight as some of the other books that we've reviewed so far. Yeah. Agreed. Something else I noticed about this, while I really, really love the art style, unlike the Space Punisher and Day Tripper, you can't really just flip through this one for the art. It doesn't really work. Those other ones, you can fully just get those, flip through them and enjoy them. This one, you can't. It, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a combination of the story and the art here that, that makes it work. It's because it's not, the art isn't as interesting. Like, Brian Michael Bendis is the big name on the book. I... I like the writing. Like, I'm here for the writing. Um, there are definitely some pages that I do like. But, like, yeah, like you said, it's you can't really just flip through it and be like, I enjoy looking at this because it's... You don't get anything from it's it. It's the Marvel House style. Like, this is what yeah. this is what superheroes look like. I already know this. Yeah. Like, so I need I like to read the, the words. I like the style, but maybe it doesn't work as well in, in a... It's just not as interesting. Yeah. It's like, it's like uh, Tim Sale on Batman. Like, Batman, I like when Batman's drawn sort of in the classic Neil Adams art style. That's probably my favorite Batman. But Tim Sale is probably my most, like, the most interesting Batman I can read because he just does crazy things with Batman. So it's like that, I will just open up that book and flip through it. Um, That's kind of like the comparison here where it's just like, this is just superhero house style. Like, it's it's nothing interesting. It's nothing you haven't seen before. Yeah. Um, But it works for the story if you're reading it. Well, I think there's only one thing left for us to do. What is that? What if? What if? I love what if.
right, so here we go. I think it's pretty straightforward. What do you got? What if the Dark Avengers had to fight the Avengers? Great what question. Happens? What do Great we get question. here? Okay, so are we... So, like, classic Marvel comics are, like, you break into one-on-one battles. Okay. So are we doing one-on-one battles? Are we doing, like, Hawkeye versus Hawkeye? Thor versus Ares? No, no. no? Team versus Just team. team versus team? Yeah. It's got, I mean, it's got to be the Avengers. Does it? It's got to be the Avengers. So here's my, my who's, question. Who's then. on the Avengers? Here's, here's, here's what I'm thinking. Yeah. It doesn't matter who's on the Avengers. Who's stopping Bob Reynolds? I can test it. Who's stopping the Sentry or the Void? I forgot. I forgot. I forgot. About I think the without the, the Sentry, yeah. I think it's a lot no one more of an interesting battle. Yeah. But who's stopping the Sentry? No one stops the Sentry. You're right. If, I if think the Dark Avengers beat the Avengers. If he's under the thumb of Norman Osborn and he's allowed, yeah, he's he's told to attack the Avengers. Yeah, I no guess their scenario him. is like maybe uh, maybe somebody could manipulate the Sentry, convince him to you know join the real Avengers, not, his, not the Dark. But his only susceptibility is that he could be convinced that he's on the wrong side. That's yeah. it, like because he has all the power. Right, and he can die a million times, and he's fine. He just comes back because he can control he molecules. He has all the powers. He has all the powers. So, it is true. The Sentry makes it, yeah, a little easy. Yeah. For the Dark Avengers to just easily win. Yeah. Whereas if we went one on one and we're like Spider Man, well, let's versus... go one on one then as well. Okay. Okay. Let's just go okay. one. I, I like it. So Spider Man versus uh, Mac as Spider Man. Yeah. Spider-Man. Spider-Man will win. Easily. We learn in the book Mac has some some problems kind of motivating himself. Um, yeah. And he, he wouldn't... He, I don't think he'd do very well. I think it was done easily. Wolverine versus Dakin. Wolverine. Wolverine. Dakin's got too much, like, anger going on. Like, too much angst about his, his father. Just not enough experience. Yeah, not enough experience. Wolverine will take him out. So yeah. you got two on the Avengers side. Uh, Miss Marvel against... I mean, who are we going against? Wait a second. Yeah. The uh, Wolverine's not on the Avengers. He's on the X Men, but he has an Avengers card. He's been on the Avengers before. I think I have one of those too. <laughs> you have an Avengers card. I You're on the so, Avengers. Yeah. yeah, they give them out like like yeah. candy on oh, Halloween. Yeah. I have to go through my stuff. I think <laughs> yeah. it's I think it's in my passport. <laughs> just, right. just in case. Okay, fine. <laughs> X Men has an Avengers card. Yeah, he has got an Avengers card. He's so. in there. Yeah. Uh, Miss so Marvel and Miss Marvel. Miss Marvel and Moonstone. Miss Marvel. So who? Which Miss Marvel? Like. Kamala Khan? No, the Miss Marvel from this book. I don't even know who she is. I don't know. She's just a. She has the powers of Miss Marvel. So come on, Dean. It's the it's the idea Moonstone. of the costume. It's Moonstone. not who's behind it. Moonstone. Did you learn nothing this this episode? Sorry, uh, Moonstone will probably seduce her in some way. I feel like that's her power in this yeah, book. Yeah, possibly. Right? She seduces so some people. She'll seduce her, um, and that'll be the end of that. So I'm okay. going Moonstone. Okay, on I'll that one, go with that Moonstone. Um, uh, who else we got? So we got well, let's Iron do Patriot. Bull, let's versus... do Bullseye Hawkeye. Probably okay. one of the most interesting matchups. It is interesting. It's kind of a toss up here. You yeah, gotta throw they're... the whole good guy wins all the time out the window here. You're gonna go Bullseye. Well, no, I don't. I'm just saying. Like, oh. do, we can't just go Hawkeye because he's the good guy. Right. Let's go. Because what we got here is you got Hawkeye versus Hawkeye. Yeah, that'd be a pretty neat battle actually. Watching so, Hawkeye just uses arrows. I'm sure he's proficient in other things 
But, like, Bullseye actually, in the comics, uses other things. He uses knives and guns. He uses and... anything. He can use yeah, anything. That's right. He can throw the cap of your pen at somebody and kill them. Because yeah. he is extremely accurate with any projectile. Apparently, so is Clint Barton. Yeah. But I haven't seen it in a comic. Yeah. So I'm actually going to give it to Bullseye. I'm okay with that. And Bullseye killed Morgana in this, which is pretty impressive. Yeah. Well, I mean, killed her, like, momentarily, but still made her go away for 10 seconds. Definitely, yeah. It's a good, good uh, win for him. So, Ares. Yeah. Versus Thor. Thor. You gotta go with Thor. Thor, I mean, yeah. it's always Even Thor. though they're both sons of Zeus. <laughs> it doesn't matter, it's Thor. Yeah, you got Thor. It's gotta be Thor. I think Thor. They're, they're pretty equal, but Thor's got lightning, right? And yeah. I don't think Ares has, Ares has anything like that. Yeah. So who is actually Sentry up against? Who's Sentry's... Well, I don't know, because yeah. we've got Iron Patriot and Iron Man. Yeah. And I think that's a clear win for Iron Man. Iron Man. <laughs> and then you've got the Sentry, who, versus Captain A? Well, it's the Sentry. It's I mean, the it's Sentry, Sentry versus, versus anybody. anybody. If you take the Hulk, it's still Sentry. Yeah. So it's kind of... A, it seems like it's yeah. a bit of a split... If you if you leave the sentry out of it, take the sentry out. It's an interesting it's a, it's, fight. It's an interesting fight, but yeah. the Avengers take it. I think so. If you have the sentry barely in there, yeah, it's not even close. I agree. I think it's not even close. All right. What Doctor Doom? Mm, he's kind of off doing his own thing. <laughs> yeah. Does he get thrown in here no, anymore? No, 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 okay. Because he he's, he's not, not part like of the Norman team. like brings him along. He seems like <laughs> genuinely disinterested in everything that's going on. He's almost annoyed he that is. he got saved. Because he is. Doctor yeah. Doom is the greatest. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we're we did it. We did it. We did another episode. We Dark Avengers. didn't get into a physical altercation. It came close though. I Almost. felt like near the beginning there, you had so much energy. I thought you were going to attack me. But when you said that Fantastic Four thing. Oh, that was I another mean, point. I was ready yeah. to throw you out the window. I think so, yeah. I saw you go and open the window. I didn't really know what you were doing, but now it makes sense. But that's it for this week and we'll catch everybody next time. That's it for another episode. Thanks to everyone for listening. If you'd like to drop us a line, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as TalkBackPod, or by email at TalkBackPod at gmail.com. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. Those reviews will help more people find Talking Back. All right, that's it. We're done.